If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Tuesday, May 23rd on the Just Baseball Show, presented by BetMGM. Use promo code JBFANS or Just Baseball for varying, I don't know, gifts from the BetMGM folks. Yeah, yeah. Good just, offers. Just do that. You'll you'll be better off than your regular deposit. <laughs> it's like the mystery flavor lollipop. You you open it like you don't know what it's going to taste like, but you know it's probably going to be good because they wouldn't put something shitty in that lollipop. Yeah, so <laughs> what if there was a promo code where you put it in and like you lose money? Money. Like your go-to-jail card in Monopoly. Yeah, like it's a, it's a spin on the wheel, but like one of the spots on the wheel was like, we take all of your money. Yeah, zoinks, IRS. <laughs> um, that would be good. Uh, now, just baseball show presented by BetMGM. Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer were really effective in a doubleheader on Sunday. Uh, I want to talk about that, man. Jose yeah. Altuve beat his ETA to the field of play by a month, which is totally freaky. A uh, couple of notable DFAs over the weekend, and then I'm drunk on three guys Kool-Aid. I want Aram's three guys as well. Before all that, how you doing? Doing good, man. I, I'm excited to uh, kind of highlight the Kool-Aid, the Kool-Aid talk on a couple of different players because there's a few guys I'm really excited about right now that I want to hit on a little bit more. And um, I, I'm excited to unpack the Mets because I, I feel like Maybe you and Peter have talked about them a little bit more. I know what that we did hit on the Mets struggles uh, when we got into uh, you know, with with Fink a little bit on on the show, but I, I haven't had a chance to talk too much about the Mets. So I think they're a really unique case, and I think that there's an interesting wrinkle with the Verlander Scherzer thing. And I'm surrounded by Mets fans here in New York. They're all hysterical. There's a couple on my men, men's league softball team that are always just like, "We're cooked. It's over. It's over." I'm like, "Dude." It's a marathon. So I'm excited to, to kind of share some of what I was lecturing them on on the pod as well. Okay, so got into this a little bit off the top of the Monday show. Like, I had a really poor showing in the Wrigley batting cages at that Syracuse event. Like, it was – I mean, I whiffed a couple times, like a lot of rollover ground balls. I'm going to play slow-pitch softball this summer in Indianapolis. Like, am I screwed if I can't – like, if no. I'm a liability in the cage, am I screwed in slow-pitch softball? 
No, I don't think so. So like, th- this is the thing I've kind of learned now just playing over the last few weeks after, you know, not really swinging a bat in any serious setting for a while. Um, with softball, you're it's it's almost like golf in the sense that it's like a battle against yourself. It's so different than baseball, even if the pitch is coming in slow on like a pitching machine. So for those listening, like I know a lot of people out there like want to get into something and, and pick up a softball league, which I highly recommend because yeah. you get out there, you get the endorphins going and your body feels OK after for the most part. Um let that thing travel, man. We want to hit it so hard, so bad. But with softball, similar to golf, if you swing super hard versus just swinging, you're not going to hit it that much further. The ball doesn't travel that far unless you're just absolutely jacked. Middle of the field, let that thing travel and don't swing too, too hard. You'll you'll be fine. Yeah, I, I'm kind of jacked, so I'll I'll put yeah, some balls so you out. Should, doesn't apply to you. Let it rip. Swing as hard as you can. Fair. Yeah, you should have seen me. I was curling, what, 12 and a half the other day? Mm. I'm kidding. No, you know what? I'll actually, I'll, I, I'm, I'm hyped about it. Um, I am all the way bought in on the so rare thing. I put together that video. Uh, let's see. Last week, I was drafting my team, and you know, it's like such a unique way to play fantasy baseball because you got that budget for like 120 gems that we were talking about. Yeah. And I spent big immediately on a couple of starting pitchers. Like I went Joe Ryan and Shane McClanahan because I was like, these guys are going to be good all year long. Then I went with like the hot hand of Luis Robert and then Fernando Tatis Jr. But like I had to budget elsewhere. This is a very fun game objectively. And I know that like, listen, we have to say nice things about like the places that that want us to talk about them on the show. But I would be saying nice things about so rare even if they weren't giving us a dime for this. Like, So yeah. Rare is actually a very actually, fun game to play. Do you remember what I told you the second we started? I was like, oh, shit, man. Like, <laughs> this is going to be a problem for me. Right. Like, this is one of the first sponsors where it's like, I actually, I was a big Ultimate Team guy. So, like, it's right up my alley like that, you know, and I don't have to give money to EA Sports. So, I'm I'm so in on that. No, it's been really fun. And, and again, like, you can join our league. The, the, the link is in the podcast description. This will be the first... The first go of of our competitions, the league that we're doing. If you miss it, don't worry. You can put your team in next week's competition or the week after that. We're going to be doing, I think, five or six of them, um, which is really fun. So you can kind of see how you stack up against Jack Peter and I, as well as the other Just Baseball listeners, followers, viewers, readers, however you consume our content. So very excited about that. And, and several of our staff members will be, probably most of them will be in that you know, competition as well for each of the five. Uh, but definitely draft your team. It's free. It's super fun. And if your team finishes really well, you can start winning some of those limited cards that are worth actual money. And then you can create a limited lineup that can win you pretty nuts prizes, or you can sell those limited cards. But even if you just want to play kind of on the surface and and draft your free team, it's a lot of fun. So check out the link in our podcast description as well. Uh, my limited team, man, I made a pickup. Uh, it was like a $7 pickup for Jesus Lazardo. Hmm. And from a fantasy lens, he pitched all right last game. But like it was so it was like eight K's, nine K's, six runs. And that's kind of been the story with Lazardo. And not to send us down like a another rabbit hole, but like he's striking everybody out, but he's like missing middle a lot. And, and it's like this weird combination of home runs and strikeouts. But I still like the pickup. I think it's for, for the stuff is there. Hey, yeah. He looks like consistently good velocity wise. I think he'll work through it, but that was a cheap pickup for me. I picked up him and Mike Lorenzen. I'm kind of in on what Lorenzen's doing, dude. Okay. Lorenzen so was I, $2 for his limited card. Right. So I was a year early on Michael Lorenzen. When he signed with the angels last year, I was like, keep an eye on Michael Lorenzen. And through the first month of the season or so, Lorenzen was like kind of dealing. And I was like, Hey man, Keep your eye on Michael Lorenzen. Then he tapered off like yeah. crazy, fell off a cliff. But now in Detroit, like this guy's kind of showing spurts of what we saw the first month in Anaheim last year. And, and that's the cool thing is like for, for the limited lineups, you can put together like with, with like twelve, thirteen dollars. <laughs> like if you want, if you want to go into the higher stake, you know, competitions. Which I think if you do a limited competition, there's going to be two separate ones that we're doing as part of the Just Baseball So Rare partnership. They're giving away MLB TV subscriptions yeah. um, if you win the limited competitions. But 
you can like piece it together. Like I picked up Verdugo super cheap, Arias super cheap. Like there's some underrated guys that you can scoop up. And um, I, I'd probably say that some of the guys that we're going to highlight on the drinking Kool-Aid section of this will probably be cheap options for the most part on so rare. So, you know, stay tuned for that as well. I think so. Um, let's talk Mets here. Justin Verlater and Max Scherzer combined for 14 innings of one run ball in a doubleheader. They punched out 10, so the strikeout numbers weren't entirely there. But you're paying these guys for run prevention. You're paying them for the senior version of themselves. And Verlander and Scherzer looked like the best version of their late 30s or 40-year-old self. Francisco Lindor went yard on Sunday Night Baseball. The Mets have gotten great production from Pete Alonso all year long, yes, but in recent days, Francisco Alvarez, Mark Vientos, like the young bats are showing up. The veteran arms just put together two great starts on Sunday. The question that I've got for you here is when do you buy back into the Mets thing? Like, obviously, the frustration was crazy. And we had Fink on last week, literally, to talk about, you know, like, how much of an issue this is and is Vientos going to solve all the problems no but everybody turning it around on the same day kind of looks like they can start to solve all the problems yeah I kind of wish I was on that podcast because you mentioned like buy back in I I never really was that worried I like I I just it's the New York Mets and and by that I mean like yeah people say oh it's like the Lowell Mets they're always going to find a way to to fuck it up that aside I'm just looking at this Mets baseball team. Like, forget the logo for a second. Look at the team. This is a team that is trying to pace itself, I think, you know, for for the marathon. You know, Scherzer and Verlander, those are guys that they want pitching at 100%, you know, or at least close to it come September, October. What happened last year with the Mets? Scherzer was was cooked. He just he didn't have anything left. And I think that was very evident in the performance there. I don't care about May starts from from Max Scherzer. Like, of course, I feel better when he looks good, but I'm not going to sound the alarms if he skips a start here and there, or if he doesn't look as sharp, or you know, if if the velocity is slightly down. Like, I really do think that they are focused as guys that are near 40 years old, around 40 years old, at, on the grand scheme of things, which is a Mets team that's trying to win a World Series and. and if you think that this team built the way it is with Lindor, Pete Alonso, Nimmo's getting going, it, it is not going to be able to hang on to a wild card spot. I, I think you're, I think you're crazy. So I, I think they'll be just fine. Um, but I do think they needed this influx of youth, and I'm glad that they actually did it because this was one of those things that, and I think Buck Showalter is a big part of this because I've been listening to some of the snippets of the press conferences. He's very resistant to just let the kids go when I get it's a very uh, old school, very uh, any vet that I talk to or like anyone that played in the 80s, 90s or before that, um, they seem to say, oh, yeah, like great, great, great job by the young kid. Let's see him do it again. Like they've seen so many young kids come up, look great and then you know, fizzle out that I think they're very cynical when it yeah. comes to the impact of young players. But at this point, I think the Mets, they have to feel really good about their core and give these young kids a consistent shot because they just need to be complementary pieces. You don't need Brett Beatty to be a middle of the order masher. You need him to be a solid seven hitter for you, you know, and play decent defense at third. You don't need Francisco Alvarez to hit 30 home runs. You need him to just be a serviceable catcher, which they haven't had. You don't need Mark Vientos to be the rookie of the year. You just need him to be a solid DH option who can stand in, hit lefties really well, and hopefully hit righties pretty well also. Like, that's all you need from these guys. So I, I think that we kind of got lost in, in the Mets' struggles a little bit because I think that's just what we're used to doing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's overreaction theater with the New York Mets. I also think that this roster – just looks better on paper now with younger guys in there, mm -hmm. right? Like, I love the mix of Verlander and Scherzer in the same clubhouse as Mark Vientos and Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty. Mm -hmm. there, there's something about very young, very old, no, no offense, Scherzer and Verlander, mingling together. And, and that's, I think, why everybody loved the St. Louis Cardinals last year, right? Because you had those young, exciting pieces coupled with Wayno Pujols and Yadier Molina. I think a team... 
like a team that's just overwhelmingly like veteran. They, I, I don't know. I think that there is less benefit to having Eduardo Escobar in the same clubhouse with Scherzer and Verlander than Beatty in the same clubhouse as Scherzer and Verlander. You know what I mean? Well, a hundred percent. And also you look at the statistical side of it, you know, Brett Beatty has a 773 OPS through 105 plate appearances. Eduardo Escobar has a 685 OPS through 87 plate appearances. So I think you're getting more from Beatty, but you're also getting that, that I think youthful impact as well. I think it's refreshing and I agree. I think it adds some balance to a very old team. You look through the lineup, like Mark Canna, he's showing his age. Uh, Starling Marte, I, I think I think Starling Marte is going to get going, but he's showing his age a little bit. Like this is a team that could definitely use that that injection of life that the young kids provide, and I think that's exactly what they're doing. And each of them have played a big part in the Mets' success over the last week or so, which is important. I, I, the one issue I have with the Mets is I think Dan Vogelbach is is a clog to the roster yes. uh, flexibility, especially when you have some of these other options, including Mark Vientos, who I think will do well if they give him consistent at-bats. Vientos can play third. Like, Vientos can play first. Vogelbach can't play anywhere, and he they don't even want to put him against lefties. You have a platoon DH who's clogging the lineup and also clogs the base paths. I, I don't get that one. Uh, but that's about it. I mean, looking at the, the Mets situation, it sucks that Peterson has not been able to be the guy that we were hoping he would be. But again, like McGill is back and looks very serviceable. Kodai Sanga, it's been a little up and down, but he's getting his footing under him as a you know, major league baseball player. Remember, he's still a rookie, even though he's 30. And then again, Scherzer and Verlander are going to be just fine. Um, so I, I think you got to look at the at the long term here. And, and I think this is a team that's going to be just fine. Uh, but it does ride on the shoulders of Scherzer and Verlander. And how close are they going to be to their Hall of Fame selves by the end of the season? I think these guys, at the very least, are going to pitch to a mid three ZRA throughout the course of the regular season. And that should be enough to get them a playoff spot with the lineup that they have. And, you know, the way the bullpen has been, you know, David Robertson's been one of the best closers in the game so far. Yeah. So it, it's kind of hard to argue against these guys. But again, man, it's all like the secondary characters. They're, they're been around the block, journeyed vets. David Robertson, I mean, remember, he was the heir to the Mariano Rivera throne in New York. And then, like, Daniel Vogelbach was once a decent prospect for the Cubs, and then he had that great half season with the Mariners. Like, Eduardo Escobar has been around the block. Tommy Pham has been around the block. I mean, everybody, Adovino, everybody on this team was generic veteran that got slightly overpaid to be a member of the New York Mets. Yep. It's kind of nice when guys don't fit that mold on the New York Mets. And I honestly, it's pretty refreshing and it makes me want to watch a bit more because I've always loved watching Alonzo. I've loved watching Lindor, but I'm good not watching Eduardo Escobar and, and yeah. Fam and an aging Starling Marte because it's tough to watch. Yeah. But if I can tune in and watch Vientos Alvarez Beatty, you know, surrounding Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo. I feel a lot better about the product that I'm ingesting. A hundred percent. But you know that Buck Showalter is always going to defer to the vets. So yeah, it sucks. Very, it, I, that's the part that sucks. So I'm I'm interested to see how this all shakes out as as we continue to move forward. You know, how much of a leash does Mark Canna have? How much of a leash does you know some of the catching options have when they come back? Because Alvarez is making it clear he doesn't want to give up this this catching position. Um, I, they they have a lot of decisions to make. And I'm very fascinated to see how they handle it. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving to Jose Altuve here. Altuve, again, that broken thumb in the World Baseball Classic. He was expected back in mid-June from that. He comes back in mid-May. His first game back with the Astros was on Friday after a rehab assignment. And Altuve beating that by a month for an Astros team that was sputtering out of the gates, relatively speaking, right? Game below 500 or right at the 500 marker, constantly bouncing a game above, game below. That is drastic underperformance from the Houston Astros. How do you get that shot in the ass? By getting a future Hall of Famer back in the lineup. And Altuve, I think, knows exactly what he was doing with that rehab process. Obviously, Altuve is not going in saying like, yeah, I'm going to milk this thing for all it's worth. Like if I've got a mid-June ETA, I'm shooting for late June. That's not the case. Like he was always shooting for for late May, 
But the fact that he was able to execute that ETA and beating that ETA by a month is incredible. And I don't know if it's determination. I don't know if it's like, you know, science working well on his hand. But what I will say is he came back at the perfect time for Houston. I mean, it's just kind of who he is, right? Like that that's what we've become accustomed to is is Altuve always beating our expectations. And I mean, this is a guy that I mean, his whole story speaks for itself. But it's just cool to see Altuve. It seems like a guy that still has that fire, like every ounce of that fire that he he had to have to to be a guy that broke in and you know, people no one took him seriously as a prospect as a five six, which is generous second baseman. And I think, you know, he's just always had that chip on his shoulder and he carried that even now. He still carries that now. So to be back is huge. I think this is a big, big, big thing for the Astros, obviously, not only to get him back, but to get him to his 100%, you know, rhythm a little bit quicker too, because the earlier you come back, the earlier that you can shake off the rust and the quicker that you can get back to being Jose Altuve. And, you know, talk about the rust. I think he was two for 22 in the minor league rehab assignment because he probably didn't feel a hundred percent, probably not even close to that, but he was able to get those at bats, work his way back. He also had a pretty tough assignment. He had to play the Tulsa drillers, which <laughs> that's not a fun rehab assignment. Yeah. That's Sheehan too, problems. right? Yeah. He had to face Sheehan. He had to face river Ryan. Um, you know, he, he got put through the ringer, the rehab ringer there, but no, like seriously, I think this is perfect for the Astros because now you're going to get Altuve probably back fully feeling like Jose Altuve by the expected date that he was supposed to just be coming back. So I think this Astros team is going to be clicking on all cylinders very soon. They they seem to already be putting it together pretty well. So can I ask you a question that I was not expecting to ask you at the beginning of the year? What do the Astros do with Mauricio Dubon? How do you get <laughs> Mauricio Dubon's bat in the lineup? I've been a Dubon guy for a minute. Um, I'm very happy that Dubon is hitting 310. I'm not sure where he fits in. Dubon has a ton of experience in center. So I would say, oh, yeah, just move Jake Myers to like that fourth outfielder role and have Dubon play center. But Myers is actually playing pretty well. He's got a 350 OBP through 129 plate appearances. So, like, I don't necessarily – the the runt of the litter right now in the lineup is Chaz McCormick. But actually, it's Jose. It is Abreu, but like, what do you do with Abreu? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing, right? He's in the lineup. Like, keep going and keep going and keep going. Exactly. So, you know, if you can't do shit about Abreu, the next one that you have to do something about is probably Chaz McCormick. Does Dubon play left for McCormick? Like, or does Dubon just turn into the super utility guy? I think super utility guy. I, I, like, that's, that's what I feel like. Um, it's also interesting because Michael Brantley, we thought could have been back by now. He keeps having flare ups and I'm, you know, I'm afraid that he might not, you know, really come back to, to who he was and really, I I don't know what they're counting on there, which blows because injuries have probably held Brantley back from being a borderline hall of famer. I I, like as crazy as that sounds, you look at Brantley's peak, you'll get the numbers that Brantley put up regardless. He probably missed four seasons worth of baseball and and easily could have been, you know, a guy that compiled the stats necessary to, to have a decent case that aside. Um, I like McCormick too, man. Like I, I know he has not been great this year um, overall, but at the end of the day, he's still got a one twelve WRC plus he's playing all right baseball. Um, so I, I there it's trouble in paradise here overall, I feel like. And um I think Dubon kind of leans into that super utility role. They can mix and match, go with the splits a lot. And uh, I think they've, they've got depth working in their favor here. I, I don't think you do anything crazy though. I don't think you trade from the depth. I think you, you lean into it. It it sucks because now you feel like you have to create space for a guy like that. Right. But if he's on the bench three days a week and he's playing four, uh, I'm okay with that. Problem is, I, I saw Altuve had some remarks like, oh, Dubon's playing like an all-star. Like, I hope he gets the chance to do that. Altuve's presence probably negates the idea of Mauricio Dubon's all-star campaign. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he's not going to be an all-star anymore because he's not playing every day. And he's not in a comfortable spot. He's going to bounce around. Um, my thing is, I feel like not as many teams now 
ride the hot hand as they did maybe even five years ago, right? I, I think that they will lean into, and I see it in minor league baseball. I'll see a guy have a three hit day with a homer and then he's out of the lineup the next day. And I know that that's the farm director, you know, doing that, like all these lineups are already pre-made, I'm sure. And it doesn't matter what you did the day before, but at the big league level, if you've got a hot hand and Dubon's top 10 in the league in batting average right now, like, I would just have him in the lineup until he cools off and then you move him to that utility role. And I guess the question is, how do you do that? And yeah, how do, do they how do, do, that? do that? And I think and Dusty, I think Dusty Baker's like the kind of manager that would want to do that, right? Like, oh, Dubon's hot <laughs> as hell. Like, let's keep him in. He's also the type of guy to really like the batting average, probably from from Dubon. He's 100%. Amped on the batting average. I think you can rotate him. I mean, I'm sure they're going to want to give Altuve days off here and there still. So between spot starts at second spot starts in the outfield late game replacement i think they'll find run for him in different ways but I, it is hard to to justify starting him over some of these other guys at the end of the day especially with some of the more power that they offer but maybe you have a little bit more of a platoon between mccormick and dubon and then dubon can kind of roam around and you know play different spots and, and spots start here and there but yeah trouble in paradise for the astros here is this where Houston takes off? They're two games back of Texas. They're, what, 27 and 19. Is this where they take the division from Texas? They've won seven in a row, nine and 10. Like, is this the Astros now? Like, they're just going to become the best team in baseball? They might. I, th- here's the, like, I, I feel great about them overall. I think, you know, the bullpen's great, and it's going to keep getting better and, and getting into rhythm again. Uh, the rotation's interesting, though. Like, with the injuries... They're leaning on Brandon Belak, yeah. JP France. Those guys have been all right, though. That's the thing. Like, JP France has been like borderline good. Yeah, and, and Belak by the surface level numbers has been good, two eight nine ERA. But every underlying metric points to him being still Brandon Belak. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is an interesting situation. Can these guys hold them up? you know, kind of just help prop them up until they get one of the other arms back. But obviously, Garcia's out for season. McCullers, I'm not. Well, I'm not expecting him back anytime soon. And Arkady's a shoulder. So that's where it's like, I I wouldn't trade Dubon, but if there's a situation where you can get a starting pitcher and and for whatever reason, there's a team that's looking to swap a a starting pitcher for a a big league bat, then maybe you do it. But the problem is, I think they got to kind of focus on treading water right now because not a lot of teams are looking to trade pitching, obviously, this early in the season. So part of me wants to say, yeah, the Astros kick it in gear, but... I think they're going to keep just kind of playing well. I don't know if they're going to kick it into like overdrive until they really figure out that rotation. Uh, Because right now, I think they're getting a little bit of overperformance from France and Bielak. Brown looks like a really solid three. And then we know about the one-two punch at the top. But I could be totally wrong because the Astros always seem to get the most out of their arms. So I'm I'm excited to find out. For sure. All right. Quickly eulogize two guys that were DFA'd over the weekend. Eric Hosmer's Cubs tenure is dead. Uh, and Aaron Hicks's Yankee tenure is dead. <laughs> Eric Hosmer had exactly 100 plate appearances for your Chicago Cubs. In 31 games, this guy slashed 234, 280, 330. That's a 6'10 OPS. Three doubles, two homers, 14 RBIs, a 6% walk rate, a 25% K rate. Hosmer was a stupid signing at the time. It remains a stupid signing, but I think the Cubs got another year of service from Mr. Mash Mervis. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, um, you know, I don't know if that was a hundred percent the reason why they did it. Um, obviously we're seeing like, you know, Mervis is still getting acclimated to the big leagues right now, but I, I almost wish he would have just gone through the process of getting acclimated in April. Uh, but again, that's, that's a whole aside. Um, I mean, look, I I feel bad for Hosmer in the sense that like he's become the butt of a joke because while Hosmer is probably the, one of the most frustrating baseball players I've watched in recent memory, it's the same swing, man. Like you are always putting the ball on the ground and it's been the same swing forever forever um so I, I can see the the frustration from fans especially when your your favorite team paid him a lot of money but from the sense of Hosmer's likability and everything that 
I, you know, I've never met him. Um, South Florida guy. I've heard nothing but great things about him from like the South Florida baseball community. Every team that has him seems to keep him longer than any fan base wants because of the fact that he is such a great clubhouse guy. He is such a great dude. So I don't want that to be lost. Like, I feel like the Eric, like you say, Eric Cosmer, it's like, Ugh. but yeah. I, he shouldn't be in that same breath as like the, the, the us that we give when, you know, it's a Marcelo Zuna or Domingo right. Herman or whoever, like Eric Cosmer just hits the ball on the ground too much. It's a great dude, a, a pros pro who had some really awesome stretches. He also, I do think though, is up there for one of the best bag getters. Like people talk about Chase Daniels, the QB, yeah. uh, and how like he made like so much per pass. Like Hosmer definitely benefited from the Royal special run and was a big part of it. But if you look at Hosmer's statistics overall, like he has no business getting the money that he got. Um, it's a one-time all-star. Baseball really pushed towards the heavy analytics. Um, obviously, analytics were in the game, but in 2015, I don't think we were baking that into contract negotiations as much. So his 3.5 F4 season where he hit 297 with 18 home runs as a first baseman gets him paid. But he like, was a winner. That That's the thing. He was a winner. Like- he was a winner, and the surface level, like the 297 batting average looked good. Uh, he was great on the big stage. This guy never hit more than 25 home runs as a first baseman. Yeah. He had no business making as much money as he did. Not my money. I don't care. Eight years, 144. That You would never see a first baseman, no matter what World Series he wins, in any context, get that kind of money. When your maximum home run output is 25 home runs, like that's absolutely asinine. Um, so congrats on the bag, the Hosmer. Uh, it sucks how it kind of finished out, but honestly, he should have never got that much money in the first place. So it worked out for him, I think, in the grand scheme. Yeah, no, I mean, I if I were Hosmer, I would feel very happy with what went down during my big league career because this guy won a World Series, right? Like he, he was in several world series like he was on a contending royals team and he was one of the faces of that royals team right it was it was probably hosmer offensively i'm thinking it was hosmer it was alex gordon sal perez uh low cane yeah alcides escobar but i would say hosmer is above low cane i'd say it probably went salvador perez alex gordon eric hosmer yeah that fair i think that's fair so, like, you're talking about one of the three big boppers on a team that went to back-to-back World Series, and and you're talking about a guy that, like, was, yes, quote-unquote winner and, and got a massive back. Again, that would not happen now with the numbers that we have available for Eric Hosmer. But, um, yeah, he got, what, he got paid right after the 2015 season? StatCast started in 2015. Like, they had <laughs> one year of StatCast data on Eric Hosmer. So, yeah, um, Hosmer, again, by all accounts, great dude. Uh, unfortunate that this is it, the back end of his career clouds the front end. Aaron Hicks, I think, is another great example of that. Like Hicks, by all accounts, is a great dude with everybody that he's interacted with. Um, but he was the sacrificial lamb of the New York media since COVID hit. Um, I want to walk you through here because Hicks has played eight seasons in New York. I guess parts of eight seasons, right? Aaron Hicks, in his first five years, this takes us to through the shortened 2020 season, he hit 240 with a 780 OPS. He was swiping some bags. He was hitting some homers. Like a 780 OPS, you want in your lineup, and you're willing to give a 780 OPS, probably seven years, $70 million. It might have still been a little bit higher. But, but he had the defensive value, too. The defensive you know? value. Since the start of the 2021 season, this guy has played exactly 162 games in two years and change yeah his slash line 211 322 317 that's a 639 ops 12 homers 54 driven in a terra 10 bags and he's punched out 140 times while playing pretty brutal defense over the last couple seasons falling off big time too yeah so hicks like i i saw I saw somebody put out yesterday that he was one of the better center fielders in the American League at a certain point in his Yankee tenure. I'm not sure about that. He was like he was a low to mid 800 OPS guy. Um, but what I will tell you is this guy was not bad. And then at the start of 2021, he became really bad. And this felt like an overdue DFA for Brian Cashman to make. 
I almost he's got to be relieved. I think at this point, like he's got to be relieved. I, 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 that's a guy that I felt for as much as as anybody. Like when you were seeing him miss fly balls and and stuff like that. To me, it was just that's a guy that just just is lost and just just mentally just worn out. Um, I'll I'll push back on one point there on in regards to to center field ability in 2018. His 2018 season was actually better than any year Eric Hosmer ever had. Uh, but if you look at F WAR leaders among qualified players as center fielders, qualified as center fielders in 2018. Number one's Mike Trout, 9.5 F4. Number two is Low Kane, 6.1 F4. Number three is Brandon Nimmo, 4.8 F4. Number four, Aaron Hicks, 4.3 F4, just ahead of Starling Marte, who was still a pirate at the time, Chris Taylor, um, Tommy Pham, Michael Conforto, and on and on. That was a great year. But the problem is that year was was very much an outlier um he showed flashes of it he, he played a great 88 games in 2017 he's was always injured always injured and that was a big problem but i think the yankees saw oh wow he looked like he was really putting it together in 2017 got hurt then had this massive year in 2018 let's pay the man because i feel i was was that extension not from 20 it was 2019 and onward it was so 19 i think that's how they saw it i get it i think they felt like they were you know, locking him up for a low-cost investment before he really explodes into his prime at 28, 29 years old. And unfortunately, you know, that explosion just just didn't come uh, right after he got the deal. So another guy, glad he got his bag. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the injuries started to slow him down. And then I really do think that the New York media and, and just the, the pressure of New York really just broke him down, um, which I hate to, to see. Like – I get it. It's not for everybody, uh, but it, it's tough to watch guys go through that. Oh, 100%. Um, all right. Last thing. I've got three guys that I'm pretty drunk on, Kool-Aid-wise. Um, so I'm going to run you through those. Those are pretty big names. You may have three smaller names, or you've got other stars here. Um, first one for me is Joe Ryan, the right-hander for the Twins. We talked about Joe Ryan at the end of the episode with Bueller yesterday um, about this four-seam fastball and how he is just so ridiculously low to the ground when he's releasing this pitch. And it's Scherzer-esque. And this ball just takes off, man. Like, it stays on a line from that low of a release point, it's incredible. And so far, that four-seamer and that splitter working off of it, nine starts, a 2-2-5 ERA in 56 innings. He's got 66 punch-outs and eight walks. I, I have made this guy appointment television every time he's thrown the last five times, and I haven't been disappointed. His last five starts, he's allowed, what, two runs twice, He's gone two shutout appearances. And then before that was against the Yankees, he went seven innings of one run ball. He is so much fun for me right now. I'm I mean, dude, it, it's it's really cool because one, everyone says never trade with the Rays, never trade with the Rays. The Rays traded Joe Ryan in a 40 man roster cut to to go get Nelson Cruz on a rental. And they added it, the guy didn't pan out, but he was also a decent, you know, decently viewed prospect. Drew Strotman, I believe, was included in that deal. Um, and like they added on top of Joe Ryan for rental Nelson Cruz. Uh, that's why obviously the Rays win more than they lose. But I always hate the narrative like don't trade with this team. Like yeah. if if there's something there, there's something there. Especially when they're on a forty man crunch. Ryan is an embodiment of, I think, uh, the the trend that we're seeing across baseball today, which is, you know, you can have, and I know you guys talked about it a lot with Walker, you can have a better fastball than the guys that throw harder than you. Of course, the best case scenario is have Joe Ryan's low vertical attack angle and shape and throw 98. That gives you Bryce Miller, which is why that guy was an 80-grade fastball for us. But I think we're seeing, like, it's not – all about just throw it hard like joe ryan's fastball is better than hunter green's which is so cool um but again yeah if you teach hunter green how to throw like joe ryan it'd it'd be the best fastball in the history of humankind uh but it's just so cool to see that And, and i think it's it's awesome to see guys be able to effectively get outs and strikeouts 
without throwing 99. I, that's always refreshing, especially in today's game um, with, with how many injuries we see and how many guys are just maxing their bodies out to throw as hard as humanly possible. For sure. Next guy that I'm drunk on is Bryce Miller. 25 and a third through his first four starts, 22 punch outs, two walks. This guy's allowed 11 hits in 25 and a third innings. He's two and one with a one four two ERA. And I was sitting here on Friday night watching the Battle of the Bryces, right? Elder, who is outperforming everybody's expectations, and Miller, who is off to an insane start to his major league career. And I'm just ooing and eyeing, man, because they're getting outs in different ways. I think that score was nothing, nothing going into the bottom of the seventh inning, or maybe one nothing going into the bottom of the seventh. I am a sucker for a pitcher's duel like that. And it was utterly insane to watch. And Bryce Miller, the fact that this guy who's sitting 95 with this fastball is holding opponents to a 117 clip against it. They're slugging 150 against his four-seam fastball. And then you look at his slider, which is his second most often used pitch at 15%, might I add. Opponents are slugging a buck 67 against that. Nobody's doing anything with the pitches that he's throwing. Oh, by the way, it's 95 at 2,600 RPMs on average for Bryce Miller. I I am obsessed with Ryan and Miller right now because I it, it, it's just it it seems impossible by the laws of physics for guys to look that stupid against middle middle fastballs and they do it and that's what's so amazing about it it's because it, it's the closest thing to defying physics that we have in baseball which is why these hitters are computing you know oh ball starts here is there they've been hitting baseballs for a bajillion years ball starts here it's going to finish here let me put my bat here and when they put their bat there the ball doesn't go there gravity doesn't work the same way on these guys fastballs which is is literally bucking the understanding of of how a ball travels for these hitters which is just insane to watch you're literally watching hitters see a fastball do something that that their brain can't totally compute <laughs> so they're whiffing it like that is so cool to me um I'm all in on the high IVB fastballs especially when it's guys that were a bit more unsung for sure uh last guy for me is a hitter Randy Arozarena, man, like I've got Randy fever and I, I had it before, I guess, like this guy's a rookie of the year under his belt. But so far this year in 46 games, he's hitting 304 with a 930 OPS. What Randy does on a daily basis, like being wrapped around in this order by Wander Franco and Yandy Diaz and Josh Lowe, who's playing out of his mind right now. Mm-hmm. Randy's been the most infectious person on the best team in baseball. And there's something about his gravitational pull that just brings me towards him. And it, you know, it could be the pose, like it could be the arms across, and that's a mean mug, cold ass pose. I love it. But I I genuinely view this guy as a star now. And, and I didn't before this year. No. World baseball classic, you do, but again, and like we had this conversation during the World Baseball Classic. Is he just a guy that shows up during the postseason and in big tournaments like that? Now it turns out he might just be really fucking good. And I think that's what this year is proving to me. Like something may have clicked. I think, yeah, I think he's found a way to match that fire. I think he's he's had things to click click approach wise. He's walking more than he ever has. He's striking out less than he ever has. And he's on pace to shatter any home run total we've seen him put up. I mean, is his career high in a single season's 20? He's got 10 already this year. So all that stuff is great. The defense keeps getting better. Like this, this was a guy that I think was a late bloomer. And we expected him, like, when he got to the big leagues, the guy was probably maxed out. He was a late bloomer in the minors. No, he's still he's still blooming now at the big league level. And I think he's an all-star. The interesting part now is, is now that this guy's a star in the game and a marketable star, do the Rays pay him? And I think they should. Yeah. I think they will, which defies what we're typically used to, especially because this poor dude won't be a free agent until 2027. You know, when he broke in so much later than everybody else, he didn't really get a full year service time until he was 26. So the race still have years of control to leverage against him. Lock this man up, give him 80 mil, lock him up for five, six years and go build that stadium in a better spot near Tampa, actually downtown Tampa. And let's get this thing rolling. Uh, The reports were that the Rays have, you know, some serious inquiries from, from buyers. If I had that kind of money, this is the franchise I'm buying, 150%. Because now they've got the marketable stars. They've got the system. You know that they can develop talent. 
You know that they are perpetually winners. You add some cash to this team. And, and I mean, they are a problem and, 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 and look at the Tampa Bay lightning and, and how well supported that hockey franchise is in downtown Tampa, not St. Petersburg, downtown Tampa, put this team in Tampa, spend a little bit of money. Doesn't even need to be big money. Just a little bit of money, put them in the middle of the pack and payroll. And this is perpetually, and they already are, but this is perpetually one of the best franchises in baseball. If I had money, I'd be buying in. Yeah, I mean, you know, Florida, like shit's cool when the baseball's good. Like when Marlins baseball is good, they show up, man. Like the stars in Miami show up. Like mm-hmm. I, it, not a star, but like Dick Vitalis season tickets to the Tampa Bay Rays. Like that's yeah. kind of funny. I think there are a bunch of Dickie V's that'll like immediately gravitate towards a good Tampa Bay Rays team, especially when you've got you know so many young marketable stars like this. I'm with you. I'm pro extend Randy. I'm not sure if the Rays see it in that way, but I trust Eric Neander like with my life. I feel like I it, think they will because of the years of leverage. If he was a free agent in a year, I'd say no. eh, they're probably not breaking out 150 or whatever it's going to take. But if they yeah. can break out 100 and get more years, I think they do it. I think th- because they've got to feel really good about everything else that they've got going on, and they've got several guys with major control. You know, throughout the team, they've locked up Wander already on a real like that Wander deal. If we're comparing it to J Rod and and not even factoring in the the level of play between the two guys, like even if J Rod was playing at J Rod level, the Wander deal is a steal. It's a heist. It's a heist. Can I also say that I like the Wander deal more than I like the Corbin Carroll deal? Ooh, I've kind of walked through the Carroll deal internally, and I'm not like you. Obviously, we think Carroll's going to be awesome, but Carroll needs to sustain this awesome and continue to elevate for that deal to be worth it, I think, for Arizona. Yeah, I'm honestly like, I have to have them both in front of me. 11 for 182. Yeah, I mean, of course, I would absolutely prefer the Wander deal. You're getting more years. Yeah, a little bit more money, but by the end of that deal, Wander might be the best player in baseball. Exactly. He has that upside too, but switching shortstop with with Wander's ability... Yeah, I mean, well, and Carol was what? Carol was buying out two years of open market. I think so. I believe so. so. I, I just don't see the worth in that. Yeah. Like no, I didn't I see that upfront money for sure. Yeah, I, I, the the one thing is is I do. It, it'll depend on how. And again, it won't be a problem. I don't think they'll be very upset about it. But I I wonder what the escalators look like. That'd be a fun episode where we can talk about like which of these. Complex contracts, yeah. Which of these pre-arb like mega deals is the best? Yeah, um, you know, and and kind of unpack. I love like I even love going, and I know you do too. Like he gets a suite on the away games for his family. Like I want to, I want to check in like on every single bullet point on these freaking contracts and and see who's making out the best. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all in on what the Rays are doing right now. I'm excited. And I think you know the, the the one thing, the last thing I'll say on it is. I think we, we we hear a lot of people say, well, they win all the time and people still don't show up a bunch. I think it's because you buy a jersey and that jersey's gone because they traded him. At, they sold high on Blake Snell, which it was a good move, but they sold high on Blake Snell. And it's like, oh, that was my favorite pitcher. You know, like that the way that they operate makes it hard to you know, be a kid who gets attached to players. And I think that the Rays understand that now. Like, and I think they've always understood that. But now we're seeing a team that's still going to do the sell high, operate the way they operate, but now they've been been able to hit on a couple superstars, especially Wander. Like buy your Wander jersey, that's going to be fine for a decade. He ain't going anywhere. And I so, think Randy or Rosarena could be similar, and they'll have a couple guys where you can really say, "Those are our cornerstones of the franchise," and we'll do our same kind of wheeling and dealing around them. Throw McClanahan in there too. I think Shane yeah. McClanahan's going to be a Ray for a really long time, especially being a USF guy. Uh, I I bet he's a Tampa Bay Ray maybe for the entirety of his career. Maybe um, one of the only pitchers where I'd say that because generally speaking, I think they're very they're very smart about the way they approach the pitchers, and it's it's kind of a, a fucked up way of describing it, but it's business. And like I think what they do is they they buy low on guys, or they 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 you know have their guys that they you know, paid a pretty penny for, they use them up. And they sell them right before they start to slow down. And like, that's, that's business. It is what it is. But I think it's pretty clear that they've been pretty adept to doing that. For sure. All right. You got a couple guys that you're drunk on right now? 
Yeah, I might as well just stay on the on the Rays case right now. And and I mean, Josh Lowe is somebody that I have been such a big fan of for such a long time. And you know, I have I have some cards of Josh Lowe stowed away somewhere. I like I, I didn't even break him out, you know, to, to check on him because of, of how much he kind of struggled last year overall it was up and down it was a revolving door but i was talking about it last year where i was like josh lowe should be playing more because there was a stretch down the rest of the season where he was raking in triple a they brought him up to the big leagues he hit and they sent him back down and he kept raking in triple a but they had their team kind of the way that they wanted it last year with the outfield but he something clicked at the end of last year and he's just rolled that right into this year strikeout rate is the lowest it's been at any level ever that's including rookie ball as an 18-year-old. Lowest strikeout rate at any level ever. And this was one of the first like big prospect dives I did um, when I was hosting Locked On MLB Prospects because in 2017 in low A, he, he, he kind of struggled. In 2018, he struggled even more. And then he was starting to break out in 2019, and I broke down his swing. And that's where I really started to get the itch of like doing swing breakdowns back in 2019 um, about him getting into his lower half and, and really figuring it all out. I was comparing it and I just fell in love with the I did the whole process. And that's why you see me doing what I do now. But Joshua was one of the first guys that I really dove into. Um, and so I've always kind of just been attached to him. He broke out in 2021 in AAA, speed, power, all that good stuff. Again, it was a little bit of that adjustment in 2022 going up to the big leagues back down. We had him as a top 25 prospect in baseball. So I was very attached to him. And then I also had a lot of money invested in his cards. To see him doing what he's doing now, not only makes me just happy because I've been following, but also makes me happy because I'm going to be able to sell some of those cards and I can use it to pay down my credit cards right now. But but also Joshua, the baseball player, dude, like it's it's all come together. Like it's just so cool to see it all come together. 11 homers, the power's playing, nine stolen bases. He's always been a base dealer. The strikeout rate is the lowest it's been in his career. He's hitting consistently. Um, and now they're starting to play him more and more and more. Don't just shelter him from lefties. This is an everyday fucking player, dude. Like, this is an everyday player in all, all three outfield spots. I, I think he makes more of an impact in right or left. He can get by in center, and that's why they're predominantly playing him in right. But this is a special talent, and he's already put up 2.2 F4. He's fun. He's electrifying and he's damn good. And and I just really enjoy watching this guy play baseball. No, I mean, listen, we were going over the 2016 draft at, at a certain point in yesterday's episode. And, you know, you almost forget that Josh Lowe was taken that long ago. 2016 was a long time ago. That was an arduous path through the minor leagues. And for him to establish consistency at the major league level as a 25-year-old, right? Like this is seven years removed from his high school graduation. That That's a long time for a guy that can be a promising young big leaguer. For him to establish consistency and for him to look like an everyday player on a team with legitimate World Series aspirations it is really, really impressive on his front. So I love that you ID'd him. And I yeah, I feel like every time I look at our JB account... It, they're tweeting a Josh Lowe Homer or, or something like that, which is which is always so exciting. Um, I, I'm gonna really force myself to not go to another Ray because I could talk about Yandy Diaz being an MVP candidate, but yeah, we're not gonna go there. I'm gonna give some love to Alex Verdugo, man. Okay, Verdugo has been just point blank awesome. Um, I always make fun of him for being a guy that was like never exceeded 2.1 F4. Um, because like he, he's become such a he's a well-known name being traded for Mookie Betts, being a Dodgers top prospect, being an everyday player who's solid, solid for, for the Red Sox. But this guy really put it together. And the reason why I am excited about what we're seeing with Verdugo is this dude said, I want an extension. I want to stay in Boston. And we kind of made fun of him. We clowned him for that. We're like, yeah, you yeah. and your 107 WRC plus sounds great, man, with with mediocre defense like it just he was just a very boring player and i don't he's never going to light it up and hit 30 home runs but this dude said i'm working hard i want an extension and what does he do he comes out this year he looks really good he looks like the best version of himself we've seen at 27 years old a 131 wrc plus he's he's still the same guy though like he's not striking out ever he's one of the best bats of ball guys in the league he's walking more than he's ever walked and he's hitting the ball with more authority than he's ever hit it. Like this is a guy who backed up what he what he kind of said before the year, and I love that. Like I I just wanted to shower praise on Verdugo because this guy asked for something, made his wants you know very clear, 
and is backing it up by leveling himself up. You know, the ISO is the best it's been since he was a Dodger for 106 games as a rookie. Everything looks as good as it's ever looked. And Verdugo is a big reason why this Red Sox team is, is, is off to a pretty strong start. So one that jumps out to me, the ground ball rate is 6% lower than it's ever mm-hmm. been in his big league career. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Something. That's absolutely huge. Because he's not a burner, bro. Like you're not going to get away with no. the high ground ball rate. He has a great field to hit and could spray it all over. But I mean, you're not going to beat out the choppers. Like you split the gaps. You've got enough juice, and it's been really cool to to see him do that. Um, I'm interested to see how the Red Sox approach it. They're obviously going to pay this guy. They have to. They have like, to they I, to save to. face for that franchise. They have to pay Alex Verdugo. A hundred percent. And it's, he's not going to be expensive. He's more expensive now. But I wouldn't have extended him before this year. Hell no. Yeah, but, but now what, I would. Now I would what happily pay him. What is he? Is he an $100 million guy? Like, well, I don't think so. I don't think so. But, like, I think you could give him a, a pretty solid $75, $80 million and, you know, put some incentives in there. And, again, like, this guy's a, he's a fan favorite. He's playing great ball. And, again, I, I love guys backing up the top, not just asking for money. Asking, you know, making his extension wants clear and then not doing anything different. You know, like he's made some clear adjustments this year. Yeah. Last guy. More? Former Red Sox. I'm so in on Erod. <laughs> I'm so in on. Dude, if you are not in on Erod, you're just not watching. Yeah. You're just not watching. And not only are like the, the only reason the Tigers are not in the basement of the damn league right now, I think is, is Erod. Like I, I think it's a, it's a huge reason why because every fifth day, he's giving them an advantage. He's pitching like an ace. He's got a two ERA. The underlying stats are fantastic. He's present physically. They know he's there. He's not disappearing. No disappearances yet so far this year, which is great. He's been there for every start. The fastball is is looking great. Opponents are hitting a buck seventy eight against it. He's using that cutter, buck fifty two against it. He's mixing in the changeup, the sinker, the slider. This is a guy that's just got the whole arsenal. He's hitting his spots. And I think he wants to get the hell out of Detroit. There's an option, a player option next year for what, 16, 17 million? Yeah. He's declining that shit. And they know he's declining that shit. This is going to be one of the best trade chips, I think, pitching wise, on the market this year. You look across the league with the expanded playoffs. With the way that the league has kind of become, you know, a a, a situation where you, more teams feel like they're in it. Look at all of the teams that are struggling. How many of them have pitching to offer? Royals? No. Cubs are playing well enough, but also even if they wanted to, who are they trading? Reds? Stroman, no. Like who do they move? They're not moving anyone. Rockies? Yeah. Nobody. Athletics? Nobody. Nationals? Trevor Williams? Like Corbin. across the <laughs> league, across the league. All of the bad teams don't have pitching to trade. Erod might be the best starting pitcher available in the market, and you're going to see him go to the highest bidder. He's going to get a laughable return for the Tigers relative to what I think people would have expected going into this year. And he's going to get paid after this year. I'm in on what we've seen so far. Obviously, he needs to do it for more than nine starts, but I'm buying it. Like Lowest walk rate of his career, lowest home run to fly ball rate of his career. The underlying stats are great. Erod looks phenomenal. I'm uh, like, this is what we thought Erod would be when you got him out of Fenway. Extenuating circumstances last year. Now he's doing it out of Fenway in Comerica. Last thing. If the Cardinals move for Eduardo Rodriguez, do they have to part with Mason Wynn to do it? No. No, because of the implications of of his his player. It's opt out. Yeah, and, and assuming that he would, but yeah, you know, they'd have to give up some some decent prospects. Like I think you know you're trading a McGreevy maybe, or or you know one of those decent starting pitching prospects. Recepo, yeah, vastly help. Yeah, or one of those guys I think, which would vastly help the Tiger situation, <laughs> like vastly help uh, as yeah. we look at them top to bottom organizationally. Interesting. All right. So those are guys that we're drunk on. We've got we've got a whole bunch of stuff cooking. So uh, Aram and Peter will be back with you tomorrow to talk through the game. Uh, go listen to the call up. Aram and I are doing something pretty fun over there. We're going to walk through, you know, almost like undervalued, underrated prospects in every system. We've got the American League coming out uh, as well. So go and get your Just Baseball merch. Go listen to every pod on the network. And again, join our So Rare League, the Just Baseball League on yeah. So Rare. Like, it's just objectively fun as hell. So yeah. there we go. I've, I've really enjoyed people tweeting their lineups at me stuff and stuff too. Please 
continue to do that. Like fire your tweets at me, send me your awards. I'm like, actually it's, it's, it's a problem. Like I'm, I'm spending a lot of time. So again, keep, keep firing your teams at me. I, I love, I love interacting with people and talking about it, especially if you're in our league with us. And the last thing I forgot to mention is we'll be giving away stuff as well in yep. the free league. If you join our league, we'll be giving away merch. I'll be giving away some baseball cards. We'll be giving away prizes to winners of the competition each week. Um, this is the first week and we'll have, I think four or five more after that. Gotcha. All right, guys, we'll talk to you tomorrow. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.